It is the grace of God that not only are we all here, but it's the grace of God, just the grace of God, that allows me to even bring the word to fellowship with you all in the word of God. Um, We have been working through the book of Ephesians primarily, and we started in chapter 4, I believe, and have worked our way through chapter 5, and now we're into chapter 6. And I believe this is going to be a particularly exciting sermon for all the parents in the room today. Um, I think in particular, many of the parents have been waiting for this sermon. We've covered submission, we've covered marriage, we've covered... Uh, many things, but today we are covering children. We are covering children as we've been working through covering the family. I would warn you, however, if you are a parent in this room, to take note of the sermon title, which says, Raising, the emphasis is on raising submissive children. I intentionally put this in the active voice meaning that we are called as parents to actively and presently raise our children to be submissive. All that goes on with our children from the time that they are toddlers until the time that they are grown, is it is the responsibility of the parents to actively raise the children to be submissive. Listen, We've already, over the course of the last few weeks, discussed what it means to be submissive. And you remember, every week I've reminded you that submission is the common factor in every Christian life. It is emblematic of every Christian. You are to submit to authority. You are to submit on your job. You are submit, submitting to the governmental authority. We are called to submit to one another as Christians. We are called to submit submit to each other as spouses and our children are as much called to submit to their parents. Remember I told you that this is emblematic of the Christian walk because in every area of Jesus' own life we saw him submit. We saw Jesus submit to his parents. We saw Jesus submit to governmental authority. We saw Jesus submit to God. And inevitably, we saw Jesus submit unto death. We all are called to be submissive because if Jesus who came here as God still submitted to God the Father, then we are called in various various areas of our lives to submit. And so that does not escape the responsibility of the parent to raise submissive children. Now, if I've talked to you about every person that calls himself a Christian, every person that bears the name of Jesus Christ needing to submit, I think that there's a possible corollary here. Submissive children more often than not, become submissive adults. But the opposite is true. Very often, non-submissive children grow up to be non-submissive adults as well. And unfortunately, many of us wait until our children have already began to be shaped by the world, already been molded by the world before we start to try to shape them into the image of God and into a Christian child before we think they are going to be able to make a decision. They've already been shaped by the world. Listen, 
That means on the larger scale that what happens in the life of your kids, what is happening in your life is largely the byproduct of what our parents instilled in us and so on and so on. So when I talked about submission being second nature last week, that is because you have not only seen it demonstrated in your home by your parents, but you are raised with the expectation that you are going to submit to something and somebody. Now, unfortunately, as I said, many parents are not causing their children to submit merely for the sake of freedom and peace in the household. But to give your child freedom for the sake of peace in your household creates this idea that when they are called to submit, it is a culture shock for them. That's why it is never a misunderstanding on my part when children who come to school don't want to obey authority because they are not made to obey authority in the home. That's why children are being raised to disrespect the authority of the police, the authority of the government, because they are not called to submit to any kind of authority in the home. Listen, in order for us to become submissive adults, we must be being trained in submission in the house. And if there is any parent who would rather have peace in the home now, just know that child will wreak havoc later. We are called to discipline our children. While we cannot absolutely control what happens in our household and ultimately what our children become, we are responsible for setting our children on the right course. That is the job of parents. So let us join the end together today and work through the word as we learn how to bring our children up in the admonition of the Lord. Go with me today to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And we read this. This is Paul speaking again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so very quickly, we're getting to our first point today. And I want you to be able to hear it. Children obey. That's the first point. This is not saying that children obey, but this is commanding children to obey. Paul begins here by addressing children first. He says, that chi- he says to the children that they are called to obey their parents as to the Lord, in the Lord. Notice the trend that we've seen as we've covered these texts all throughout these weeks. That every time Paul called them to be submissive, whether it was an adult, whether it was a wife, whatever the case may be. He always admonished them that their service was not to that person in particular, but their service was as to the Lord. It was unto the Lord. It is important To understand that just like adults, their submission to their parents is a service not to the parent, but to God. Now, it is important to see 
we can probably go ahead by looking at this text and age age this child by their instructions. Now, many of us have been taught that there is an age of accountability that all children reach. Now, that is not ever specifically mentioned in the Bible directly, but there may be scripture that leads to that possible point indirectly. I remember in particular being about 12 or 13 years old, being afraid that I had already reached the age of accountability, which is probably a sign that I'd already reached an age of accountability. Now, what we do need to see is that Because there is no specific reference to an age of accountability, we can see that scripture does point to an ability to accept and reject the gospel. Now, we are not necessarily aware of what age that may be for any child. I think more than saying that there is an age of accountability, I would probably argue that scripture teaches that there is a state of accountability. There is, a part, there is a place that we all get to where we can consciously accept or reject the gospel. Many parents concern themselves with where, whether their children will go to heaven or hell when they pass away or when Jesus comes back. The Bible tells us all throughout scripture that those who are not saved are not saved because they reject the gospel truth. This means that condemnation is not the result of you being unable to reject the gospel or accept the gospel. But it it happens because you actively reject the gospel. This means that there is a consciousness of the gospel. We learn this in Matthew 11 and 20 when Jesus warns those of Chorazin and Bethsaida that if he had performed the same miracles in Sodom, if he had performed the same miracles in other places, in other cities, that those people would have repented. He then tells them that because of the accountability that you have, you will be judged more harshly than they will be. He even tells them that the city of Sodom would still be in existence today if they had been exposed to the revelation that you have been exposed to. He says, therefore, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than it will be for you, because if they had had the revelation you had, they would have repented. Say, what is the significance of that scripture? The significance of of you understanding that is telling you that in order to reject the gospel, I must be able to consciously understand the gospel. There must be a capacity in which I can accept or reject gospel truth. So Paul is speaking to children who are mature enough to understand and comprehend the gospel. Now, this is not necessarily an age, but I do think, like I said, that it is a state of maturity that we all reach at different ages and different stages of our lives. But they know when it is. Parents usually know, but most importantly, God knows. God knows if all of us have reached the age by which we can accept or reject the gospel. Now, He gives us this this truth in this text. He says, listen, this is the first commandment with a promise. 
Of all the commandments, this commandment has a promise. What is that promise? If you are obedient to your, to your parents, it will go well with you and you will live long. That is what he's saying. He said, this is the commandment, the first commandment that promises you, promises you this. It is an if-then commandment. If you obey, it will go well with you. Now, this was initially an application specifically to the Israelites. But Paul, with the apostolic authority that he has, he broadens it to us all. Now, I want you to be able to see that this is both a practical principle and a spiritual one as well. Let's look at what it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 20. It reads, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. In this proverb, there is the admonition to keep your father's commandment and to hold on to and adhere to the teaching of your mother. He says to bind them to your heart. That is the importance of truthful and loving teaching from your parents. When your parents are raising you in the fellowship and in the admonition of the Lord, their teaching should be bound to your heart. It should lead you. It should guide you. Now, he also says to tie them around your neck. This is an interesting phrase. Paul is, com- uh, the, the, the proverb writer is specifically telling you that as you would adorn yourself physically, adorn yourself spiritually with the commandments of your parents. So just like you want to look beautiful on the outside, true beauty comes from obeying the godly instruction that you receive from your parents. I think many of us can attest that even today, whether you are 8 or 80, that many of us have held on to the core gospel teaching that our parents gave us and we are better for it. In a world where we are encouraged to forsake how we were raised and forsake how we were shaped, if you were shaped with good, godly instruction, keep it around your neck and adorn yourself with it. He then says that they will lead you wherever you go and they will order and guide your steps. They will watch over you as a means of protection. And when you wake, they're the first thing you hear. They will talk to you. He is making it clear that your parents are giving you sincere, biblical and godly teaching. And it draws them to a better relationship with you. When they adhere to those teachings, not only does it protect us spiritually, but it also protects us physically. Why does it protect us physically? Because if we are receiving, if we have received good wisdom and godly instruction from our parents, not only does it encourage us to make good decisions spiritually, but the decisions we make spiritually affect where we go physically. 
That means that I will not physically put myself in compromising positions. I will not physically put myself in dangerous positions because the first thing I hear when I wake up is the godly instruction that I got from my parents. That does not run out. Even today, the first thing that I think of is the godly wisdom that comes from the Bible. We must bind it to our hearts and tie it around our necks. Because the more we encourage our children in spiritual disciplines, they just will not be inclined to put themselves in dangerous situations. Not saying they absolutely will not do it because sometimes children do forsake our teaching. But it is the responsibility of the parent to encourage them that even when they want to do wrong, there's something, whether it's the wisdom that they hear or just our voice, that pulls them back into the position they should be in. Unfortunately, I think in our society, parenting has become underrated. It's become underrated because we rely on all the other cheap materials to raise our children and fill in the gaps and go where we will not go. Nothing else can raise your children better than you can. But just know this. If you don't raise them, something will. And our children, the adults they become, is the responsibility or the irresponsibility of the parents. It is the irresponsibility of the parent if they did not raise them with godly instruction. It is not our job to just desire to be at peace with our children. We never relent until they leave out of our households because we want to shape them and make them and mold them into what God has called them to be. And so regardless of what they want to be, we need to shape them into what God has called them to be. More importantly, he wants us to see that this teaching, it leads to eternal life. When we teach our children the word, when we raise them in the word, chastise them according to the word, we are protecting them and we are guiding them. If the Bible is telling us that there is a place that we all get where we can accept or reject the gospel, then that means you cannot wait to apply principles when your children are old enough or when they are smart enough or whatever. Then by the time they have that consciousness, let me ask you this question. What has already shaped them? If we are waiting until they are of age to start applying discipline to teach them the principles of submission, by the time they are old enough to make that decision, they have already been shaped. It is scientifically proven that by the time your children are 12 and 13, it is almost impossible without the saving grace of God to reshape them and mold them and give them truth because their minds have already been shaped and molded into who they will become. And that means from the time that that child is born, we are raising them to be submissive and obedient. The Bible is clear, and and we need to understand this. No matter how cute your child is, and I know they're adorable. I know they have little cheeks and chubby arms and 
You know, they come out with three necks. I know they're, they're just adorable. But just know this. They are cute little reprobates. Adorable little enemies of God they are. Who grow up at some point. You cannot let the cuteness and their adorable nature and all their little roles prevent you from remembering. At some point, this little reprobate will be a teenage reprobate. And then an adult reprobate if I don't get a hold to them with godly teaching. We are born enemies of God. And the second we are born... From the second we are born, we need reconciliation. We need to be brought back into fellowship with him. I will help you see that. Now, this has been more and more clear in my own life, having a two-year-old son, who you may notice is not here, because he decided he wanted to go somewhere else last night. But Elliot is a cute child, a sweet child. He's a reprobate. Let me tell you how I know that we are born enemies of God. Elliot is very smart, does most things you ask him to do. But there's one thing in particular he does not like to do. Elliot does not like to go to the bathroom. It's just not his favorite thing. More importantly, if you ask Elliot, do you have to go to the bathroom? Your answer is always going to be no. He will never tell you the truth. More importantly, if he has already gone to the bathroom on himself and you ask him, Elliot, did you do something in your pull-up? No. Now, the amazing thing is, and I want you to see this, is that we did not teach him to lie. He is two years old. Certainly, even if he saw us lying to one another, he wouldn't have had enough perception to know that that's what's going on. That means the fact that he would lie and protect himself comes from the nature that he already has. That means we don't have to teach our children to do wrong. We have to teach them to do right. That's what we have to do. We have to raise our children because the course that they will take is in opposition to God. We, from the age that Elliot is, have to train them what truth is. We have to raise them in the admonition of the Lord because Satan tries to get a hold of them as soon as he can. And so our response should be to get a hold of them as soon as we can as well. See, just like Elliot, all of us are born with that nature of sin in us. And it will be the constant fight of nature versus nurture. How are we raising our children? How are we nurturing our children? How are we bringing them up in opposition to what their nature already is? We must see beyond the adorable appearances of who they are and see into their hearts. And even when they disobey us, when they're that age, no, it's not cute, it's wrong. 
And they must see that it's wrong and understand that it's wrong so that when they grow up, discipline is something that they have been accustomed to. And so when they leave your house, you don't need to be shocked that they curse the teacher out. That's who you raised. More important, that's what you raised. And I think it's important for us to see that if we don't shape them and mold them and make them, that the way that they are bent and going and heading, they will harden that way. I don't know if you've ever seen how candy canes are made, but they are rolled and they are heated. And they stay heated until they get it shaped perfectly in the way that they need to shape it. But one thing you know is that once that heat is removed and once everything cools down, it hardens the way that they have shaped it. And at that point, there's no reshaping. You have to break it. What we have to do is shape our children now so that the Lord won't have to break them later. Listen to what scripture says. Proverbs 22 and 6. Scripture we're all familiar with. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is what we call a principled truth. Now this text, whether you know it or not, is extremely difficult to translate. There are multiple views for this text. What are those views? Well, there is a common view we all know, which says that if we train our children and bring them up in the way of the Lord, that they will remain faithful. Now, even if we hold that view, I think we all know that this is a wisdom proverb and a wisdom principle, but it's not a guaranteed truth. It's not absolute. You can raise five children up in the same environment and there can be one that goes astray. Again, that is because of that sin nature in them. Even though you raise them all up in the same Christian household. But what it is telling us is that the likelihood of our children remaining faithful because we have raised them in gospel truth is better than if we don't raise them in any kind of truth at all. So that's... That's one take on this text. The second take on this text is that script that this scripture has a sarcastic tone to it. Said some say that he is writing here saying that if you train up the child in the way that they are already going, it is impossible to break them from those habits that lie within them. Now, I would say that I mostly dissent from that take because I don't believe that that is the tone of the writer here. But there is a final take. That final take is that if you train a child up in the way that they are going, that they are gifted, that they are bent, that when they are older, they will not depart from it. Now, we probably read this text, but let me read it to you the way it was written in Hebrew. And maybe it will help make a little bit more sense. From Hebrew, it reads... Dedicate a child according to what his way demands. So what does this text tell us? I believe this text is giving us a comprehensive view on parenting. 
Whichever way a child is being shaped, bent, molded, made, is either the responsibility of the parent or it is the irresponsibility of the parent. The way that the child has is dependent on the way that the parent has cultivated in them. If you have a child that you see is being shaped and molded and made in one direction and you allow that child to dedicate themselves to the way that their way demands, then you will have an issue. But if you see that child being bent and shaped in the wrong direction, it is the parent to intervene when you know the ways of your child, when you know the desires of your child, and when you know the habits of your child, to not let them just go the way they want to go, but pull them and rear them and shape them into the direction of God. The Bible tells us that the young, are without sound judgment. Proverbs 7 tells us that about the young man that lacks sense. Proverbs also tells us folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives them far from it. That is what we must see. Our children do not come here wise. They do not come here with good judgment. Even the most mature children desperately need to be parented. And just in case you don't realize this about children, they crave discipline. How do I know that? Because if you tell a child the stove is hot, that child is going to touch everything around it until they see how far they can go. That is not because they are just without sense and don't like, don't like discipline. A child always desires to know what are my limits. And unfortunately in many households there are none. There are no limits. Everything goes. Everything happens. And just so you're clear, there is a way that our children will go without us actively raising them. It is the responsibility of the parent to raise the child in the way of God. Does it require more work for you to raise your child as a Christian? Yes. The easiest thing you can do is let your child do whatever they want to do. It requires more work, more attentiveness. But guess what else it requires? It requires more love to raise your child this way. The Bible is clear. The man that chastises his children does so because he loves them. And the man that doesn't, he doesn't love them. Now, the, the sign of strong love for your children is that you care enough to discipline them. In this household, remember, it is the primary role and the secondary role of the mother, but it's the primary role of the father to discipline their children. Again, this doesn't mean that the mother is unable or incapable, but this is the role of the father primarily. Listen, God designed this for a two-parent household. That is what he did. 
He naturally created that balance because he knows that children on their own, he knows that he knows that how the home should work more specifically. Now, I'm not condemning those who are raising children by themselves. Unfortunately, that is the reality in the lives of many people, some even in this room. And unfortunately, there are people in this room who are doing 100% of the work with 50% of the capability. God created this balance. And that is not to say anything about any mother or father who's having to do it. But the natural balance is a husband and a wife, a father and a mother. And the last thing that we can do is pretend like it doesn't matter. It matters. If we pretend like it doesn't matter, then we are cultivating the idea that the husband isn't needed, the wife isn't needed, and you can have children however you need to have them. God created a design for how the household should work. And what happens is it it only exacerbates the problem in our society because many, many times a single parent will overdo it or underdo it in the role that is not specifically designed for them. I can't count how many times I've seen young mothers who have to parent these, their sons without a, without a father who are so harsh and abusive to them because they feel like they need to compensate for that role of the father. And what it does is it doesn't create balance. It causes that child to resent their parent. I've also seen parents who, because they feel like they can't be the father, they can't be the husband, absolutely apply no discipline, thinking that the love relationship they have will cause their child to be obedient, but that doesn't work either. Now, I don't want anybody in this room who is raising their children as a single parent to feel like I am condemning you because I am not. But what I am saying is that it is a responsibility of the church when we have leadership, when we have elder males, when we have older women, if we see parents that are struggling, whether they are raising them independently or raising them however they may be raising them, we come in and we fill the gaps that are there. That means that if you are a mother and you're having a difficult time raising your child up, that the elders of the church, the mature men of the church, assist you in that. Or if you don't know how to raise your daughter because your mother didn't raise you. That the older women are there to teach you how to do that. Or if you're a father and you didn't have a father. And so you're doing the best you can with your kids. That is what the church is for. We pick up where your parents left off. And we help you. Now, point number two, final point, and we're done. Fathers, discipline with grace. What he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
What Paul has seen, unfortunately, as we see many times, but in Jewish and pagan households, there were these fathers who would viciously and abusively discipline their children. Not only would they viciously and abusively discipline their children, but they would also discipline their wives as well. They disregarded the welfare of their children. They, They asserted themselves with domineering force and callousness. Now, this does not cause your children to respect you. It causes them to be afraid of you. This is not the goal, fathers, of parenting. The goal is not to get our children to be afraid of us. The goal is to get them to respect us and to get them to respect why we're disciplining them. If the reason we discipline our children is found in the word of God, if we can cause them to respect us, then they'll respect the word. But if we use the word as an excuse to callously discipline them in anger, without reason, within frustration, then we raise them to resent us. We raise them to resent the word and we raise them to resent God. We cannot discipline our children harshly and go beyond what the Bible has required of us. Yes, there is a rod of correction, but we also must be gracious enough to reason with our children. There is balance here. So we are beyond the day. There are some things that if I tell you you can't do it, there is no reason I need to explain to you. It's because I'm your parent and I love you. But there are some times where I may have an experience that you don't understand. And to save you from that experience, what does the parent need to do? You need to sit down and talk to your child and explain why you did what you did. You say, well, what are you saying? I thought it was a rod of correction. Now you're saying we need to reason again. Which one is it? It's everything. As parents, we must be balanced. We must be balanced. And remember this. The goal is to point them back to God in everything we do. When we discipline them, when we fuss at them, whatever the case may be, is not to point back to us, but it is to point back to God. They will only respect us as much as they respect the Lord. And as I close, remember what scripture says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In our children, we should be cultivating not just simply a love and an honor and a respect for us, but more than they love us, more than they respect us, we should be training them to love and respect the Lord. Now, obviously, Jesus was not speaking about literally hating them, but he has commanded us all to love him more than anything else. And in our children, we cannot take the place of God in their lives. We must 
teach them to love, to honor, to cherish, to serve, and to submit to God first. That is the only thing that will make us 